Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Jane Transit series, COVID Confessions One Year Later. This episode features Kwesi Chapin, CEO of Chapin Consulting. We talk about his trajectory and journey in campaigns, political campaigns, that is, what 2020 looked like and what he thinks is up next. I hope you enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Kwesi, how are you? I'm doing good. Awesome. How's the summer been treating you? Well, it's just summer now, huh? I mean, like, it's, it's <laughs> just getting there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's heating up in Maryland uh, over here. So it's, it's, it's doing me all right. All right, good. Well, thank you so much for joining me this evening to um, chat with me about your life as a campaign strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get started, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to my podcast audience here at J in Transit. What's going on, folks? This is Kwesi Chapin. I am a organizer, aka political operative. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kwesi Chapin um, of Chapin Consulting, um, holding it down with Juana today. Awesome! I love it. I loved how you just drew. Jo- Drop the the terms of art so smoothly. <laughs> um, tell us about what a day in the life of a political operative looks like and how long you've been doing it for. Damn, that's a good question. So I've been doing this since 2007, taking it way back to uh, uh, Obama uh, campaign when people were still calling him Osama. So I was on the primary. <laughs> um, so since then, I've been doing this type of work, um, whether Want to do a community organ call it community organizing, cooperatives, bringing around campaigns. Um, but a day in the life means uh, typically I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different folks on the ground or in communities that are be directly impacted by someone being screwed over, right? <laughs> most likely, for, for me, for the past uh, uh, past five years, I've mostly been working in Black communities in America. Um, so what that means is I'm talking to a lot of folks who are on the ground, connected them, and trying to give them either resources or find a way to help them in their fight. And, and that's been particular around uh, local elections. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like district attorney elections or AKA prosecutors has been my steez that have been specializing for the past five years. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, criminal justice reform, all that in there. You, you've been busy. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> um, what's been the biggest difference between starting out as a political operative in a national campaign and, and then switching focuses to local? Well, that's a good question. So when I started off national, um, and again, on the Obama campaign, like it is like we did a lot of good work, in particular in, in South Carolina around community organizing. But it hit different when you're no longer got that big name right, mm. coming in and you're just, you know, crazy of like SEIU in Arkansas doing change that works healthcare reform or working on a district attorney election um, with uh, Color and Change PAC, um, which was at the time when we first started doing local elections at Color Change PAC. Uh, wasn't that many folks uh, who knew about us. So it really is uh, <laughs> not a humbling experience, but like you, you come in 
um, one, listening a whole lot more um, than you would if you were with a big national campaign where you just kind of get to do stuff because you had the money to make that thing happen. Right. Um, so you got to listen a lot more to the to the folks on the ground who know that community way better than you do. Uh, and then as and then the ne next big thing is um, campaigns look way different when you're doing local stuff. So for instance, yard signs matter, right? <laughs> if you told me in 2008 about these about yard signs mattering to me in elections, <laughs> I'd be like, if you didn't get these damn yard signs away from my office. <laughs> I hate yard signs. <laughs> but in local elections, it matters because name recognition matters because it's quite frankly, Ain't nobody know who's running for office locally, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Regular folks don't turn out to these uh, these down ballot races. And so that means there's a lot of attention, a lot of like, what does that office do? What? DA, huh? Right? Like, <laughs> and once you know, may not even know his elected position, right? And that, um, and so there's a lot of education that goes in. Like you're not edu you're not educating people. Not too many folks. Um, you saw my encounters around what the president does, right? But right. what a DA does, you are gonna have to put some information on behind behind that. Right, right. And for those um, who are not into politics like that, DA is district attorney. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I fall into the political jargon sometimes. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Um, so money wise, what did that look like? Like, um, did you have to scramble for resources in local elections versus the national campaign or were they equally yoked? Oh, this is a good question. So when working in now, the big difference is working in black communities. I worked in black communities in both the presidential and also local elections. Right. The presidential, that bag is going to come. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but it, it may come. Uh, that money bag will come like mm, maybe a month or six weeks if you're lucky before right. election day. Um and the biggest difference of local is that you can be screaming for the money bag, like because it doesn't take as much money to swing a district attorney election mm -hmm. um, as compared to a way, especially compared to a presidential. Oh. Um, and then you narrow it down to a primary. So it's actually even harder to raise money on local elections because one, you have to explain the impact and then funders unfortunately um, don't you know really want to dig in on that and in places where we would target particularly in black and brown communities is primaries right right primaries and name the game you know whether it's a nonpartisan primary or a democratic primary um, a lot of, a lot of that weighs in um, on how uh, one is the battleground state and whether or not you making a case with, hey, there are black folks who want to hold their police accountable. They want to do this through holding their, getting a progressive district attorney elected, right? And so making that case is hella hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so it's, it's very, very much limited money available on, on local elections. Right. Um, and you, right when we started our conversation, you said that there is a difference between um, name recognition and how it made it slightly easier in national campaigns because everybody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about 2016 and the four years between, you know, uh, 20, yeah, 2016 and 2020. Yeah, so 
Um, for me, my 2016 look a lot different than a lot of folks who, who do this type of work. 2016, I actually got some wins. <laughs> I, was, I didn't, I didn't get that big L. <laughs> that was Sorry, a big Hillary. one, though. <laughs> Sorry, Hillary. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, but no, for, for me, what um, my 2016 looked like being involved in uh, primary very early on in Chicago, um, getting Kim Fox elected, um, and then switching over to um, looking at Orlando, Houston, Texas, and like um, I think it was Columbus, Ohio, was some of the areas that we were focusing on. Um, and then it's... Uh, and it became much easier to like, cause to make the case around why, you know, this local elected official that can that can hold police accountable to black folks way easier than trying to convince them for Hillary. Um, and you know, didn't go that way. Uh, went 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 my way for the DAs I was supporting there. Got got my wins, but did not go my way nationally when. Uh, Good old Trumpito won um, in, <laughs> in in 2016, and so right after that, um, one folks were in their feelings. Particularly, a lot of political operators were in their feelings about pointing fingers about how we lost national the, um, the presidential election, and there was a lot of blame game going around. Right. Um, but quite frankly, it was just like uh, to me, my opinion, like you know, some poor decision making at the top. And, and that, and people not listening to the ground. Mm. My perspective from what I saw, but with the benefits of that happened is that we got a common enemy. Um, this is where the air, big air quotes of resistance came through, right? <laughs> like, of you know, they they think they in Star Wars or something like that, but um, <laughs> the resistance the resistance rose uh, where like where coalitions that normally wouldn't work together was mm. like, well, we got something in common. <laughs> we, we don't like Trump. And so we got to do what we can for the, these next four years to make sure he doesn't get reelected. And that and that meant fighting at the local levels, fighting at the state statewide levels and the congressional levels and co coordinated efforts. I haven't actually been seen or experienced in that time frame from 2016 to 2020. It was actually quite remarkable, like how many coalition meetings we have, or like where was a, a very clear common goal. Um, that helped, you know, a very clear enemy, right? Quote, unquote, enemy that people can rally against and mobilizes um, their membership and volunteers and their constituents, right? Who care about, who want to do the donations, all that right. stuff to fight back against Trump. Um, so th that's one of the benefits that I saw from the biggest ch change from 2016 and 2020 of like how it coalesced and particularly the folks on the left, right? Democrats, moderates, it was just like, mm-mm, we, we riding towards this, right? We gotta make sure Trump, Trump out of office. And so that that allowed, I think, um, you know, some, definitely the gains we saw in 2020 election Although it wasn't that that many, but 2018 was is a slow, steady drumbeat. Um, when AOC got elected, right, right. folks given that you know that hopey feeling of like, hey, things may change, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's so interesting because um, you're absolutely right. We all always have, or what I would think is a common goal, but there are, we're so we're in our own cliques. Mm -hmm. um, 
and even though it's criminal justice reform for all, there's still someone else fighting for something else within that space. So all day. <laughs> yeah. So you are now, you know, getting ready, right? Because campaigns actually did not start in 2020. People, you know, people started putting all their stuff on the ground in mm-hmm. 2019-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but you started ramping up in 2020 and then March came. Woo. <laughs> Listen, you know, I would say in twenty, actually in twenty nineteen, I actually was gathering the troops together, right? Yeah, uh-huh. a lot of big internal meetings, getting ready for twenty twenty. Like a lot of coordination meetings had coming up with all of the big plans of what we're going to do in a presidential election year of twenty twenty. Oh, to go back to twenty nineteen, look at those plans. Ooh. <laughs> um, but. For, for me in particular, right off the gate, I actually had um, a couple early elections, primary elections. Mm-hmm. So election on March 3rd, a couple elections on March 3rd, and then um, I think I had one um, even earlier than that, but like two, Los Angeles District Attorney election, then we had Houston, District, um, Harris County District Attorney election, so, some big elections in the district. So we, we were already gearing up, running like a full offline program of like being community, having a bunch of dope events. Um, and then, you know, March came around, that that Rona <laughs> came through and blew up all the plans. Um, in particular, working at a black organization, um, that, that Rona hit us even harder. Right. Um, in a couple of different ways. One, it hit us on the staff level. Staff yeah. was getting sick. Their family was getting sick. Folks were like legit scared because, quite frankly, was that Rona was coming for black folks like no other. Absolutely. Um, you know, hell, I, I lost a cousin to Rona um, last late last last year. My condolences. It, it, it was not a game to be played with. So you had staff going through it, and then that, if our staff are going through, which um, we had a majority black staff, you better believe our members are going through it too. So our yeah. volunteers were going through it. And then, you know, folks, America didn't stop being racist just because we had a whole ass pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. And so things were happening constantly to, to black folks. Um, and so it became a, actually, we kind of had to pit our whole 2020 plans on hold to address our community, to make sure our community is good and safe. And so that, that looked like um, in New Orleans during the pandemic, it wasn't about the election. We were making sure that um, our people were being fed. So we had a, a drive-through dinner um, mm. at a black gro- grocery market to make sure that like folks were good in that area. We uh, we found ways to celebrate um, George Floyd um, in Houston, where where his funeral was happening. We had down the street from his funeral like an event where we were feeding folks. It's almost like a, a big ass public repast, right? Right. And th- this is all member led, right? So. N- we're used to having like staff on the ground flying in, my, myself flying into like big events like that. And this is one of those like, now nah, you gotta let go and let others do it. So we had to adjust to this pandemic, this whole new world of like, all right, what you thought would be the more, more traditional way was you had to get, get a lot of trust and depend a lot on our members and volunteers to step up in, in new ways. Right. Um, yeah, because you know, just just because because like that election was coming no matter what, 
And but um, but we we decided that no, it was an investment in our people to meet meet up meet up people where they're at. Yeah. Because you know it's a whole ass pandemic, and and that pandemic was hitting black folks. Whether if you were lucky enough to stay healthy during the pandemic, you know the jobs was going away, and it was going to hit us pretty hard. So people losing jobs and all that good stuff. So finding ways to bring some joy and like and just be real in that moment, like and when. I remember when the volunteers saying they had to step back because they need to pick up some shifts at Amazon. Well, who am I to tell them no? You get me? Like, so it's like meeting folks where they're at uh, and being respectful. And rem- remembering, especially in an election year, and I, I really wanted to make sure this in 2020 and this whole pandemic that we're humans first, right? Right, <laughs> right. So, so many times, like in particular political campaigns and organizations, like they just see their staff and members and volunteers as just like, you know, numbers on the sheets, you know what I mean? And that's not, in particular at a black led organization, I wasn't gonna buy for that. Um, so I wanna do things differently. So that, so I had to, we had to switch our whole plans up uh, for 2020 for sure. And that was a great um, point made that I was uh, thinking of you expounding on. So thank you. Um, that yeah, we we as constituencies is what we're called, right? So we're not mm-hmm. even given names; we're just given mm-hmm. titles and labels. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we are treated as a means to an end. And so, I guess I'm curious to see before we turn a little bit to you about. Um, do you think that that human touch is going to stick around now that the world is opening up and campaigns are still happening? You know, it's a good question. I mean, it really depends on who, who's running those shops, right? Um, and like, what where they hard at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because you know, if you you know, if, you, if the pandemic didn't make you want to. Sp- switch things up or see folks as human beings and I don't know what will, right? Um, particularly like if, um, understanding like these issues that we're fighting for, like we, the election is never good. The elections, elections are a tactic, right? Right. And so like, it's, so you're folks are like pushing and prodding just to get through that one tactic, but it's such a long road and like criminal justice reform, economic justice, all these like issues that ain't gonna go away by a snap of the finger, right? And so, really pacing ourselves in, in this work is is so important. So I hope that it, it stays, that that human aspect stays of like giving Friday, uh, I know a lot of organizations that come up with Friday, summer Friday is off, like, please. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause this work ain't going, ain't going nowhere. Um, and so it's up to us to decide like, hey, what's the healthiest way to get our people there holy? Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that matters so much um, personally. Awesome. Did you see any changes within your own organization that you think they will adopt in terms of um, making this more of a human touch? Or do you think it was a one in a lifetime um, opportunity? Now, um, that's a a good question. you know, I'm no longer with that organization. So right. what, 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 what they, you know, have stuck, stuck with, but you know, they're, they're generally good folks. And so, um, everything is going to stay remote. From my understanding, like making it work remote, not forcing folks to go to office when, if, if it's a small ass office, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Pandemic. Now everybody backed up now. Hopefully people are backed up, but you know, not everyone does that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but um, I think there is definitely some human policies that got 
get in place in 2020 that you can't take that away now. People got used to it. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be real hard. Um, what were some of the um, personal effects of COVID in on you as you were also trying to run a large piece of um, this organization in, in such extraordinary times? Wow. For me, what really happened, um, what made 2020 hard for me was a lot of isolation. Like, mm. you know, my work in particular, I do, and um, as a political organizer, I had to do a lot of meetings with external partners, aka folks outside of my, org- my organization, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'm talking to somebody in Miami about this upcoming election. I'm talking to somebody in California, in Los Angeles, about what's going down in LA. And so I, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in between that call, but you're stuck remote, right? And you're not there. Um, you're missing out on a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt a lot of isolation. Um, and, you know, if I'm getting yelled at, right, I'd rather get go on a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That yes. wasn't an option. You know what I mean? To, like, decompress that way. No, you were stuck in that house after getting yelled at. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so that isolation became mad real. Um, especially as someone that did national politics in, in a lot of local areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was hard. It was harder for me to connect with folks. Um, and that 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 really ran, ran a toll on me. So that I missed that personal connection. Like I miss dapping people up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I miss yeah. I miss laughing with folks in person, right? Um, there's some some things, although you can plan out the best Zoom parties or Zoom meetings and just you know, those fake times, but it's n- nothing like that good old d- dap up. Like, let's say, hey, I'm here. It's like a human connection. Agreed. And a lot of my work really, really depended on that, or at least I felt that I needed that to be, um, to bring the joy out, right? Mm-hmm. Without that, woo, it's a rough job. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I do recall I gave a, a what, are the alternative careers or other careers in the political organizing space. Um, so I went through a whole campaigns 101 and I said for me that, um, cause I did a little bit in 2020, I was not the superstar that you were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I said was I, for me, it was the connection part. That was, that was the biggest um, uh, con to, to the pandemic in terms of running, you know, or working in campaigns and um, as a joke, I was like, well, you know, I would have rather have, you know, gained the 15 pounds next to you than like mm-hmm. sitting, on the other <laughs> sitting on the other side of this computer. And, and like, you know what it is? Like, you troubleshoot much better in person. Yes. Right? And so like when some, when shit hits the fan, a call, I'm not, I may not pick up the call phone, <laughs> right? Because I'm right. in the mix, right? But um, but when you're in person, that troubleshooting gets much better. And like the real to talk, the real work sometimes happens, and especially like the ideas is when you're when it's after that phone bank, after the last meeting, you get to go kick it with your with your crew, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like thing, and you're essentially doing a debrief, right? right. You're, you're debriefing your day, like your challenges, your high, highlights, and people need that, right? That's that energy that that fills that political organizer soul and a lot of that wasn't happening last year um you know like 
at least on a consistent basis, right? Uh, like you may have a little Zoom, but like, you know, I you know, I have to be on the Zoom all damn day. Last thing you want to do is hop on the Zoom just to kick it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, definitely drop the ball on those Zoom happy hours after 12-hour Zooms. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any good or bad habits that you picked up during this time? I mean, I worked out a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I shout out to the trainers. <laughs> I got, you know, shout out to the trainer, you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, if it wasn't for my personal trainer, shout, shout out to uh, Fitness Theory, you know, give the plug. Um, you know, that helped a lot with my mental health, quite frankly, and just like getting also better physically, right? Mm -hmm. um, last year was probably my healthiest campaign. <laughs> <laughs> And this is after years. Years. <laughs> wow. So two things. Uh, one, what do you think the future of campaigns is now? Because we are, campaigns don't end, right? We're, we're in the middle of, of local ones now. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you think the impact of 2020 is is impacting these and and the midterms you know in what 15 months um yeah so one of the biggest things that i've that i've witnessed is that a lot of organizations got exposed for having weak digital weak digital strategy right mm -hmm. like if, you, if your organization was struggling to figure out zoom woo <laughs> Right, <laughs> trouble for you last year, right? The, if you didn't know what digital ads was about, or like had an effective way of communicating with your, aka constituency, your your audience, right, through di digital means, um, it it was going to be a problem, right? And this and it ex and that pandemic exposed a lot of folks who were like, nah, I just do a paid canvas and call it a day. Like I pay some folks to go knock on these doors. Right. right? And, I, and that's my bread and butter. Well, that got removed, right? Mm -hmm. the whole, that pandemic removed it for some. Um, but you know, others were, were thugging it out and found ways to like, nah, my if my community is in these streets, I'm gonna be in these streets. Right. Uh, and so like some of them ma match that energy and I, I and I hundred percent respect that, you know. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that arose from that is that digital became um, a lot more people would spend a lot more money on digital than they ever did before. Um, that's digital ads on Facebook, Twitter, even though Facebook was hating with their little fake little um, block at the end mm -hmm. of the year, mm -hmm. um, end of the election year to make sure that you know, when no one was biased or whatever. That's not nonsense. But either way, <laughs> um, <laughs> One of the things that came again, digital, um, digital ads came became up and live. Communication got their shine. Oh, sorry if you live in a battleground state, aka Georgia, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, ooh, Texas, and you got blasted by text messages. Um, that became so hot. I mean, it was hot in 2016, right? But like, it it picked up over the years. But 2020, folks went overboard, um, and so You're right. You're right. Um, I'm actually hoping that um, cold text messaging, um, kind of, we, we need we need to find a, a different way of how to communicate with voters, and because that that ain't it. Because people are just gonna be 
tune that out. Um, and ooh, the amount of people who, if you, I mean, if you did volunteer for a, t- a text message campaign and you texted Georgia during that runoff, oh, 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 right. you and 20 other organizations doing the exact same We're, thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. There was a lot of text message inundation. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, what were some of your lessons learned um, during this time period? Um, I, I got learned again that you got to trust your people and that that's like trusting your staff and trusting your, your members and your volunteers a whole lot more. Um, you know, I learned that lesson all the way back on the Obama campaign, but like it got reintroduced even, even over again when you were forced to do it. So letting go of a lot of like what you would normally hold and put it in other people's hands. So delegating and uh, training people up so that way you feel confident that they that they won't, you know, drop the ball. Yeah. <laughs> right? And if they did drop the ball, guess what? That's a learning moment, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and finding ways, because you know, this work is nonstop, right? Um, which if you mess up one day, what, what did you learn from that? And then you take it into and go for the next level. So I learned a lot about that in particular, like um, uh, at the time the organization was very worried about doing offline events during the pandemic, mm. um, you know, but our members wanted that, right? That's our members within these streets, especially the members in the South, right? Right. <laughs> Atlanta was out here. <laughs> There was no COVID in Atlanta. Houston was out here. Florida was out here. You know what I mean? Like, mask, huh? Right, right. I mean, there was COVID, sorry, but the folks were like, and what? Yeah, well, like, you know, know, that didn't. COVID didn't stop racism, you get me? So like, if people wanted to find ways. So um, matching that energy of like where your members are at and where your your people are at is what what I learned, even despite the uncomfortable, like, all right, well, how do you get comfortable, all right? Well, that means you got to get that hand sanitizer, back right? Back, right? Got to be masked up, right? Got to gotta put some protocols in place and, and adjust um, your plans to meet, meet meet your people where they're at. That's, that's valuable, and I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, so you have mentioned a few times that you are in a transition. Tell us about that. What's next? This is a good question. So right now, I am now the CEO of Chapman Consulting. So I started my own political consulting firm where I'm working with social justice organizations and other nonprofits, um, doing coaching. It's a, it's um, doing strategy work to, you know, take down the man, uh, <laughs> but in, in many different ways. So I'm actually in this transition period in, of like looking at different projects until where I really want to focus in on, you know, who knows, maybe in a year I might be back on a J-O-B, who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but right, right now I'm doing my own thing and exploring and projects that passion projects like you know reparations yes. <laughs> you don't so, have to whisper that we all you know <laughs> reparations finding out different ways to do that working with um ideally with um athletes um particularly from the major sports leagues black black athletes and getting them more engaged in social justice work um and yeah, because there's there are different ways to do this work, and I just want to find creative ways to engage regular Black folks 
right? People who aren't your everyday activists, people who just like who be in the barbershop chilling and talk about politics, but like don't really know a way to pl plug in, right? How, how do we engage them? I think there's some cool, unique ways that I want to try out in this consulting consulting world and projects I want to try out to, to give opportunities for those folks to, to get involved on this fun call political organizing. That's awesome. Well, I tip my hat to you. I think, um, well, one, I think you are the man to do all of that. And so <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you are taking that leap of faith and pushing forward. And I know that whatever it is that you end up doing, it's going to be great, even if it is going back to the JOB. Hey, listen, the bills got to pay now. <laughs> <laughs> that health insurance is expensive. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, why don't you tell the podcast audience where to find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Quasi C K W E S I C. That's the best way to get a hold of me. The website is still in the works, so you'll get you'll get see Chapter Consulting up there here in a minute. So, but right now, if you want to get a hold of me, um, Instagram is the best way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your vulnerability with us um, during a difficult time and, and um, through your transition. Um, and we look forward to hearing more about QACC. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me and tuning in to how campaigns are run behind the scenes, but most importantly, how my guest Kwesi ensures that all of our Black communities know what's at stake in their backyards. If you would like to follow him, please go to Instagram and find him at Kwesi C, K-W-E-S-I-C. And also follow me at Jay in Transit. Be sure to also rate this podcast on your streaming platform. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.